there are three different types of prayers that we want you to become proficient at. And the first one is public prayer. So people pray in public during our worship services. We pray in public during our life groups each week. We pray in public at this congregational prayer meeting. We have the third Saturday night of each month. And we, our worship team here, we gather together, those that are in the band, and before the first service each Sunday morning, that group prays for the services each day. Other people listen when somebody is praying publicly, and they affirm the prayer, and they're edified by that prayer. And then there's private prayer. And Jesus said, and this was the key to last week, when you pray, don't be like those show-offs who love to stand up and pray in the meeting places and on the street corners. When you pray, just go into a room alone, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in private. He knows what is done in private, and he will reward you. So some people like to go on prayer walks, and they talk to God the whole time that they're on that walk. And I've tried that, and I get distracted by things, so I had to try something else. Other people feel that the most effective way for them to be in prayer is by writing their prayers in a prayer journal and then writing out the answers to those prayers. But I have enough paper as it is. My son-in-law criticizes me for that. And so that was just too cumbersome for me. So I have found that my most effective prayer is when I just get by myself and pray out loud, verbalizing my thoughts, my needs that I have to God. So praying out loud helps me to keep on focus. And then there's something that's called continuous prayer. And the Bible says, pray without ceasing. And a religious group called the Quakers used to call it practicing the presence of God. So it's a sense in which we're always in a mode of prayer. Like before I get up to speak here this morning, you might have seen me sitting here just praying, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you to make these words understandable, to get your spirit working in my life. So there are times when we will do that. And Jesus said we ought always to pray and never give up. So it's our desire that you become proficient in each of those levels of prayer. And we're in the third week of breakthrough in which we're studying what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. And we're looking at this as a model for us to follow in our own prayer lives In the first week, our associate pastor James talked about the fact that prayer isn't a last resort, but prayer is the most important thing that we could do. And then last week, he talked about the fact that our prayers become powerful when they're directed to our God, because he's the difference maker. And now this morning, we're asking, well, how should we pray? Like, we want our prayers to be effective. So what should we say in order to see something happen as a result of our prayers. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is praying that God's kingdom will become more and more completely here upon the earth until its full and final consummation when Jesus Christ returns. And I'm convinced 
that there are thousands of people who say that prayer every day and they don't have the slightest idea of what it means for God's kingdom to come. And they don't have the slightest intention of turning their will over to him and being submissive to his will. So what does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? First of all, we're praying for God's coming eternal kingdom. Because the Bible teaches that God has a plan to totally rule this world one day. That God isn't going to allow all the evil that we see around us to continue to rip this world apart forever. We're all familiar with that horrible massacre that took place in Las Vegas as 58 people, 515 were wounded on October 1st at the Route 91 Harvest Festival. And when you heard that, like, how did you react? Like, I guarantee you that you were sickened by it and you felt as if you know, something's got to be done. Like These things can't keep happening over and over again. And my wife Pat and I flew into Las Vegas at 11.30 the next morning and the airport is right beside Mandalay Bay and we could see the field where the concert took place. It, it was just so amazing to be there. You see, I'm wearing this Vegas Strong. I feel like I'm a Las Vegan. I don't know if that's how they say it, like we're Haligonians. But when we went to church that Sunday morning, they passed these out just so that we could be in prayer for all of those people that were involved. So just imagine what's going on in the heart of God when he looks at the world that he's created, the people that he loves, and he sees murders, he, he sees broken homes, he, he sees racial strife, drunk driving accents, accidents, cancer, Alzheimer's, heart attacks, earthquakes, tornadoes, and floods. And I guarantee you that that just rips his heart apart. But maybe you're asking, you know, wait a minute now. Like, isn't God already in control of this world? And the answer is not exactly. Because Jesus called Satan the prince of this world who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But then Jesus says that Satan stands condemned already. So one, guy, one day, God is just going to say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand it anymore. It's going to be like Popeye. That's all I can stand. I can't stand it no more. And he's just going to say, that's enough. And he's going to come and purge the world of sin. And he's going to establish a perfect kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises, as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. So the major reason why we're focusing on prayer during this 10 weeks is because we want to hear God's will for us as a congregation. And we don't want to try and sell him on our ideas and try him to get into buying into those. But we believe that God is calling us to something that is bigger than ourselves, something that we'll need to be totally dependent upon him to accomplish. And from this verse, we know that the major aspect of that is going to be bringing people to salvation through Christ. Because, look at verse 10, the day of the Lord's return will surprise us like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a loud noise, and the heat will melt the whole universe. Then the earth and everything on it will be seen for what they are. So just as God on one occasion cleanses the world through the flood of Noah, this passage says that Jesus will return in judgment, and he's going to purge the world by fire this time. And then he's going to start fresh with a new heaven and a new earth. And he's going to rule in righteousness and peace. And Isaiah actually talked about that in the 11th chapter. Then wolves will live in peace with lambs. And leopards will lie down to rest with goats. Calves, lions, and young bulls will eat together. And a little child will lead them. Cows and bears will eat together in peace. Their young will lie down to rest together. Lions will eat hay as oxen do. A baby will be able to play near a cobra's hole. And a child will be able to put his hand into the nest of a poisonous snake. Now, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter on that show on TV, like this guy's got nothing on this little child here. He's going to look like a wimp compared to him. They will not hurt or destroy each other on all my holy mountain because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is full of water. So just imagine how fantastic that's going to be when God comes in his kingdom and we get to experience all of that. But there is a sense in which we are spiritually living in enemy territory because Satan is the prince of this world. And we long for the day when Satan is dethroned and God will bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head. And the Apostle Paul had a vision of that and he wrote about that kingdom in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared and there was no sin anymore. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared like a bride dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now God's presence is with people, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, sadness, crying, or pain because all the old ways are gone. So he's saying, I'm going to make everything new. So when you pray, your kingdom come, Lord, what you're praying for is the coming reign of Christ on earth. It's been 12 years since I had the memorial service for a 16-year-old named Cole Parsons. And he was killed when he was a passenger in a car that was in a road racing accident out in Sackville. And I'd had some contact with the family, visited his older brother who was in hospital with leukemia. He actually died there. And then I had his mother's second marriage. So I was called upon to have his memorial service that day. And I thought to myself, you know, I basically groaned when I went to speak to his mother, Virginia. Like, how do you comfort a parent in a time like that? Like, what do you say? And remember thinking, like, it can't be too long before the Lord's going to come back and make everything right. 
The next to the last verse in the Bible is, Come, Lord Jesus. So that's come and eliminate sin. Come and establish your kingdom. Come and allow your will to be done in this world. So your kingdom come isn't just a prayer for Jesus to return and establish an eternal kingdom. We're praying that God will reign in his church right now. And there are a number of scriptures that refer to the church as the kingdom of God. Like John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth, like some of you who were standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man in his kingdom. And then in Colossians 1 verse 13, that God has freed us from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So notice, that's the present tense. That's happening right now. Back in 2014, the congregation gave us a very generous gift towards the renovation of our kitchen and our house. So that made me go ahead with that renovation. And when we did that, we took out a wall between our living room and our kitchen. We had a big mess, and we lived through that. Like I had plastic over the stairwell, trying to keep the dust from going upstairs, the same thing from going downstairs. And we didn't have a kitchen for about three weeks during that time. But when we look at the kingdom of God, we realize that Jesus intended the church to be a community of people who acknowledge him as king and are completely submissive to his will but the church is under construction. It's not yet complete. It's imperfect. However, it should be improving, and it should be looking more and more like the ideal. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for God's will to be fulfilled in the church, and the more that Christ reigns in the church, the more powerful the testimony of the church is going to be. And prayer unleashes God's power in the church like nothing else. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And apparently they learned their lesson very well because you read in the book of Acts and you find out that they prayed and they were powerful. And there's one example given for us in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were arrested and they were warned, like, don't you dare speak about this Jesus Christ in public anymore. Because if you do, you'll be arrested and you'll be in big trouble. So the church got together for a prayer meeting. And they didn't pray that they could escape persecution. This is what they prayed in verse 31. Father, your will be done. You help us to speak the word of God boldly. You help us to perform miracles. And they had prayed. And the place where they were meeting was shaken. And now look what happens to them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's after they prayed. And they spoke the word of God more boldly after they prayed. And all the believers were one in heart and mind after they prayed. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had, and that was after they prayed. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus once again after they prayed. 
and much grace was upon them all after they prayed. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we're saying, may the church be pure and obedient to your will. May the church be powerful in transforming people's lives. And may the church be harmonious. May the lion and the lamb live together in the church. May the young and the old, the rich and the poor, all get along as a testimony to your miraculous love. I use the Lord's Prayer as an outline for my prayers. And I begin by offering my praise to God for who He is. And then when I pray, Your kingdom come, I kind of imagine it as an ever-increasing circle. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The inner part of that circle for me is my family. So I pray for my wife. I pray for my daughters and my grandchildren and my sons-in-law. I pray for their needs. And then that circle widens to the church. And I pray for programs, meetings in the church. I pray for some of you that are going through marital problems, maybe physical hurts. Some are going through emotional stress. And then I imagine that circle widening even more to include some of the missionaries that we support. So just for example, I'll think of Norm Weatherhead, who is with Pioneer Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea. And I will pray for Norm as he struggles to learn a new language and get the Bible into that language so that the people can read their own language. So I pray, help him to not get discouraged, but keep him physically healthy. Like Just imagine the power that would be unleashed if 300 people here were praying every day, Lord, your kingdom come. Bless this church. Bless its leadership. Bless our outreach. Reveal your will and expand your church's influence. But you know what? Sometimes we don't see a dramatic answer to prayer. A king doesn't always reveal all his plans to his subjects. And we just have to be obedient and pray and trust God to do as he wills. But prayer strengthens us but usually in non-dramatic, non-miraculous ways. When we gather together with a group for prayer, and and when we pray for one another and for the needs that we have, we actually encourage one another, and in praying for one another, we are strengthened. So when we pray, your kingdom come, there's one other way that this prayer applies, and that is that we're asking God to reign in, in our hearts, like in our personal lives. James wrote, and then Jesus later on said this as well, the kingdom of God is within you. So I believe that God has a definite purpose or a plan for every person in this world. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, I don't believe that God has every little detail of our lives worked out, every moment of our lives, but I do believe that he has an overall plan for your life. He has a reason for you to be alive right now. Like There's something that he wants you to be doing that will contribute to his plan. Now, some of you know exactly what God's purpose for your life is, 
And that's fine. And some of you don't even have a clue. And you may not know until eternity. We see life like a cross-stitch project. We look at it from the backside, and all you can see is this jumble of threads going back and forth. And, you know, they don't seem to make sense. But God sees all of this from the other side. He sees it from an eternal purpose. And he knows that every single thread has a purpose. And then when we get to heaven, we'll be able to see where our life kind of fits in to the overall scheme. So you may not know exactly why God has you alive right now, but you have to trust that he has a purpose and then just walk in obedience to his word. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So in other words, trust him and he's going to get you to where he wants you to be. But too many people kind of chafe at the idea of God telling them what to do. They want to be free. A man was reading the book, The Prayer of Jabez. And in that book, Jabez prayed that God would expand his borders. And the main theme of the book was the fact that we would ask God to do more in our lives than he has been doing. But when that man read that, he stopped reading the book because he didn't want any more responsibility. So it's like we picture God up there in heaven and he's just waiting for us to surrender and say, your will be done. And then we kind of cringe and we wait for it to happen because we've got this carnal side of us that wants to be independent. A student asked Rabbi Zacharias why Jesus was the only way to salvation. He said, you know, why didn't God provide other ways for us to be saved? And Zacharias gave a great answer. And he said, if God had given us ten ways to be saved, it's man's nature that we would have demanded an eleventh way. We want to do it our way. So in a sense, we're afraid to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart, because we think that God's going to make us miserable. But the Bible teaches just the opposite. God's will is best for us in the long run. So look at Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So God's will might actually bring some temporary suffering in our lives, but in the long term, he will bless you and he will prosper you. Now, Satan, on the other hand, he will give you immediate pleasure, but in the long term, he'll destroy you. But you hang in there with God, and he will bless you in his will. And just before Jesus died, he actually went to a prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane. His human nature didn't want to die. His human nature didn't want to accept the weight of the sins of all the people in the world on his shoulders. He he didn't want to take that guilt. So the Bible says that he sweat and it looked as if drops of blood were falling from his head. And he called out. He said, Abba, Father, if it is possible, let there be some other way. Let this cup pass from me. But then he added, but not my will, but yours be done. 
And he walked away from that prayer meeting with a tremendous calm resolution to be obedient to the Father's will. He met the soldiers at the gate to the garden, and he didn't have as much as a tremble in his voice. He allowed himself to be crucified without screaming out in protest. And the victory that was won at the cross came as a result of that prayer meeting in Gethsemane. The battle usually isn't between God's will and Satan's will. The battle is between God's will and your will. So when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, Father, I know it's your will that I be baptized. That's what you've commanded me to do. But I'm proud and I'm self-conscious. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, I know that it's your will that I be generous with my money, that I give a tenth of that, a tithe back to you, but I'm insecure. And I'm a little greedy too, but may your kingdom come in my heart and may your will be done in my life. Father, I know it's your will for me to be faithful to my spouse and to love my spouse, but I want to run away from this relationship. There's someone else that has attracted me, but not my will, but yours be done. Like That's a tough prayer, isn't it? One guy said this prayer. He said, I want to thank you, Lord, for being close to me so far today. With your help, I haven't been impatient. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy. I haven't been judgmental. I haven't been envious of anyone, but I'm getting out of bed in a minute, and I think I'll really need your help. Someone said, the safest place to be in is the will of God. And Reinhold Niebuhr was a brilliant theologian, but you know him best for a simple prayer that he once wrote. As he was walking through the church one day to preach, a woman just kind of grabbed him and she asked for a special prayer request. So he wrote the prayer on the back of a bulletin, and his prayer has become the most popular human prayer in the world. And most of us have heard the first third of it, but it's the last part that is actually the key to life. And the prayer goes like this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But here's the rest. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. The Bobby Richardson was a, a former second baseman for the New York Yankees baseball team. And one time he gave this prayer at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, and it went like this. God, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. And that's what we're looking for as a church. When we pray that prayer, we're looking for God, like your will. We don't want anything more than that. We don't want anything less than that. We don't want anything else. 
As Christians and as a congregation, there's no better place to experience the joy of relationship with Christ and the thrill of being on mission with him than in the center of God's will. So it's God's will that no one would perish but all come to repentance. And that word will means strong desire. So it's God's strong desire. It's his passion for people to come to Christ. And he wanted that so badly that Jesus died on the cross for us. To become a Christian is to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Are you willing to surrender to Jesus Christ today? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the fact that you have revealed your will to us in your word. And we know it's easy for us at times to slip away from that and to start thinking of our own agenda and what we would like to see happening in our lives, what we would like to see happening in our church. But Father, our strong prayer is that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done and that we would one day see your kingdom established in an eternal way. We're praying for your kingdom to come stronger than ever here in this world right now. And we're praying that your kingdom and your will would be done in a powerful way in our individual lives also. Thank you for loving us and gifting us with your son. We pray this in Christ's name.